Hi listeners, I'm your host, Rebecca Kelly, and welcome back to The Station, a fiction podcast about a girl named Ida Shepard who's trapped on board a dying space station called the Delta. This podcast is me reading my novel, The Station, and the book is available on Amazon. I will link it in the show notes below if you'd like to check it out. Now, in the last episode, we learned more about the rescue plan that Ale and Ida have come up with to save her from the Delta before it falls into the Earth's atmosphere. And today, I have a special three-chapter episode for you. That's right, three chapters, and there's a few reasons for that. First, these are relatively short chapters, and they kind of go together, so we'll just get them all done in one episode. And second... I took a long break from the podcast to finish my second novel, more on that coming soon. So I'd like to make it up to you and give you a little bit of bonus content with this episode. So let's join Ida now on the Delta as she does a spacewalk to make some critical repairs to the Soyuz space capsule that will hopefully bring her down to the surface. Let's get on with the show. Here are chapters 36, 37, and 38 of The Station. My finger is stuck inside the thumb hole of the spacesuit. I've been trying to wiggle it free for the last two minutes, and it's starting to cramp. Not only that, my biceps and shoulders feel like they're on fire. Literally, they are about to burn a hole through this suit, or at least that's how it feels in my mind. The thing about being inside a pressurized suit is that it's like wearing balloons around your arms and torso. You've got to squeeze your arms toward your body if you want to keep your hands in front of you. It's basically squeezing against the force of a tiny atmosphere. And although it's tiny in comparison to, say, the Earth's atmosphere, it's a real pain to squeeze through it. If you don't make an active effort to force your arms to stay close to your body, they float off to your sides, perpendicular to your body. That doesn't do me any good. Plus, I'm sweating like a pig in this suit. The temperature regulator is not working properly, I can tell. I'm wearing a liner between my skin and the actual pressure suit. The liner is made up of tiny tubes, and it's supposed to pump cool or warm water through the tubes based on the temperature readouts from the suit sensors. It's definitely not working. I can feel the heat rising in here. Sweat creeps down my back. I imagine that's what a spider might feel like crawling along your skin. I've seen too many science and nature movies about insects. One of the perks of living in space is that there aren't any bugs. I sigh, a long, exasperated sigh, so I know they can hear it over the intercom. Ollie responds, How's the cut going? Having any problems? He knows damn well that I'm not cutting. He can see everything I'm doing from the little cameras mounted on the side of the helmet. I stopped cutting two minutes ago. My finger is stuck inside the thumb hole. I bite my tongue between my teeth in concentration. Maybe if I straighten it toward the end of the thumb hole, I can wiggle it free from this little lip of fabric. I grunt with the effort, but it works. My finger has now slipped all the way into the thumb hole. The problem with this suit is that it's much larger than I am. Usually they customize these suits to fit a specific body size, and this one is the larger of the two suits on board. The smaller one, the one that New used, didn't perform as well in the screening tests and was deemed the backup. So I sit here, fighting with this glove that's too big for my hand. My thumb and forefinger now share the thumb hole of the glove. I breathe in, bite my tongue again, and pull hard with my hand muscles. 
finally, my index finger pops free from the thumb hole and I move it back into the correct finger hole. All right, I got it fixed, I say. Oh, by the way, this suit is ridiculously hot. Thoughts on that? Yeah, Ale says. We can see the temp reading is high. That's putting it lightly, I think. I can see the temperature display on the inside of my helmet. A small lens projects a handful of useful readings onto the glass faceplate. Pressure, oxygen levels, humidity, and temperature. The temperature flashes in front of my face. 31.1 degrees Celsius. Then it flashes again. 31.6 degrees Celsius. Jeez, that's way too hot. I punch the buttons on the arm pad to show the display. Now it shows me the outside temperature instead, 22.2 degrees Celsius. What do you propose we do about it, I ask, responding to Ale's vague declaration about the temperature being high. I continue my work, cutting the material I now hold in my gloved hands. My arm's still burning, but not quite as much since I took a break to get my finger unstuck. I didn't mean to sound irritated when I asked him this, but I've been in this thing for three hours now, and it's really boring work. It's not actually accomplishing anything. It's only a test run for the spacewalk. I can't help but feel moody about it. Plus, I'm exhausted and very hot. Yeah, we're looking at it, Ale says. He sounds tired, too. We've all been working long hours to prepare for this spacewalk, but nobody has worked more than him. I imagine him dropping into bed at night, exhausted. Looks like the cutting is going well, he says. No doubt an effort to keep my mind off the intense heat inside the suit. Keep at it. Once you get that piece cut, we'll work on applying it to the heat shield. Assuming we can get the temperature down, I add, I can't stay in this thing much longer. I'm going to pass out. Yes, of course, he replies. The material in front of me is part of the Kevlar insulation that lines the walls of the station. I'm not actually outside right now. I'm in the VP, and we're doing a final run-through of the spacewalk procedures. The Kevlar in my hands didn't actually come from the hull of the station. It's part of the failed thermal shielding that came loose from the Soyuz many years ago. Nix went out and fetched it so I could practice with it. According to Ale, it's the same stuff that I'm going to deal with when I actually do take the cutting torch to my station. The plan is to cut away the outside layer of aluminum on a two-meter square of the service module. That's the thickest layer, probably two centimeters thick. Under that, there are 12 layers of Kevlar blankets. This setup keeps pieces of debris from puncturing the hole. Under that, there are some mylar thermal blankets for insulation, and beneath that is an industrial-strength wax about 10 centimeters thick. The wax covers the actual pressure hole, which is also made of aluminum. It's a bit more robust than stations were made in the past, but the guys at NASA told me that the Delta was meant to occupy a much further orbit, therefore it needed some additional padding. That's good news for me because their plan calls for me to cut a big hole in it. Once the aluminum is removed, I'll cut out the layers of the Kevlar and bond them to the Soyuz to reinforce the strength of the hull. This project of strengthening the Soyuz hull is actually for the second of two spacewalks NASA has planned for me. The first one will be to change the batteries. It sounds like an easy job, but not really. Those batteries are complicated. You can't just unhook one of them and plug it in. There's a long process of rewiring, and to do it correctly, it has to be removed from the delta without fraying or damaging any of the wiring. 
That's a tall order for a girl in an oversized spacesuit with bulky nubs for fingers. All of this is, of course, dependent on the temperature regulator in the spacesuit. If it doesn't work better than this, I won't last 20 minutes out there. I'll have to take a look at it myself later. Those NASA guys are pretty good at calculating stuff and putting up old diagrams, but they're not great at working the problem. Most of what they tell me to do is because they ran some advanced computer simulation and it said I would get a certain result. I don't think they do much trial and error on their own. Kevlar is essentially like duct tape for the space station. It's a great all-around material that's stronger than steel with excellent thermal properties. It works well in a woven fiber application and it can be cut and bonded. In fact, the early Delta astronauts had their own patch kit for such an emergency. I still have some Kevlar patch material along with plenty of space-grade thermal resin that's used to set the Kevlar in place on the whole of the Soyuz. Unfortunately, there's not enough patch material left in the patch kit, which is why I'll need to cut open the hull. Cutting a hole in the side of the Delta is dangerous business. It'll leave the station vulnerable to space debris and radiation. It's a risk NASA's okay with as long as I'm on my way to the surface very soon after the cuts are made. I'm okay with it too, since it means I might actually have a ship that's strong enough to get me out of here. If I can successfully cut away the Kevlar, then I've got another problem. I must mix the resin perfectly to ensure it will make a quality seal capable of resisting the thermal forces of re-entry, and I must do the mixing fast because this stuff is no joke. It takes only a few seconds for it to harden and it creates a permanent bond. This is a process I've never done before with my bare hands, let alone done with big bulky spacesuit gloves on. I'll probably end up gluing my fingers together. During re-entry, the Soyuz must survive several thousand degrees of heat. If even one of my patches fails, I'll get cooked alive inside that capsule. So I guess this practice run is pretty important. If only it weren't so hot. Ale, I say. It's too hot in here. What can I do about it? Yeah, Ida, I'm looking at the procedure right now. Hold just one second. I've made my cuts. Now I'm going to mix the resin. Uh, not yet, Ida. We need to get your suit regulated first. Sweat creeps down my forehead. A drop lands in my left eyeball, stinging it shut. A moment later, Ali comes back on the radio and says, So, this is going to sound a little strange, but I want you to shut off your oxygen regulator. Hmm. Shut off the oxygen? I am skeptical. Yeah, we're going to reboot the system. And if we shut it off, it should manually reset, and then hopefully the thermal unit will come back online. I shrug, but I do as he says, and to my surprise, it starts up again in only a few seconds. Almost immediately, it's much more comfortable in the suit. Better, he asks? Better, I say. Great! Now what can I do to make your life a little easier? You can come up here and mix up this resin for me, I say. Have you ever tried mixing resin with these gloves on? No, he says thoughtfully, but I once built a Jenga tower wearing ski gloves. It was a dare. Does that count? He must know I'm irritated because he adds, Trust me, Ida, if I could go up there and help you, I would. You're a liar. Not one person on the surface would opt to take my place up here, and that includes you. Oh, you think I'm lying to you, huh? He says. Nothing makes me more uncomfortable than knowing you've got to do these spacewalks. I would trade places with you in a second if it meant you were safe. 
I'm skeptical of this, so I don't say anything in response. It makes me wonder if NASA protocol says that the guy in charge needs to act like he cares so that the lost soul doesn't give up hope. He must sense my doubt because he adds, I'm serious, you know. I would do anything to get you here safe, even if it meant trading places with you. Now that the suit temperature is regulated again, I know it's not the suit making my face hot. I choose to ignore it and continue to measure the chemicals in the resin. Once I mix them together, that's it. The clock is ticking. During the spacewalk, I'm going to have to mix resin like 15 times, so I better learn how to do it right with these stupid gloves on. Later that night, Nix comes into my sleep compartment. He jokes with me about how well I did at mixing resin while wearing ski gloves. He must have caught that little tidbit from our conversation. He's going outside with me tomorrow to help hold tools and equipment and to provide guidance if necessary. It makes me feel less nervous knowing he'll be there with me. I'm staring out the small porthole window in my sleep compartment. The earth spins slowly in a giant circle. It's bright. The station is in the day part of its orbit, and I really shouldn't have my window open. It's after midnight. I should be sleeping, but I can't help but take a peek outside while the station is still in the sunlight. I wonder what Ale is doing at the moment. Just as I think of him, my body starts to relax, and a smile spreads over my face. I am closer than I've ever been to leaving the Delta, and seeing him in person. That thought makes me happier than almost any thought I've ever had. The hollow screen next to my bed pings. An email has popped into my inbox. The subject says, Ida. The email reads, Have you ever wondered what they call a space fruit? Answer, a coconut. Just a little astronaut joke to warm you up. After all, you did get enough heat this afternoon in that space suit. You will be great tomorrow, I know it. I have all kinds of faith in you. Now go to sleep. It's late, and you've got a big day. Good night, Miss Coconut. Signed, Ale. I smile and blush and hug my knees to myself. I feel like a silly teenager, and that feeling is fabulous. I reply, Ale, you need to sleep as much as I do. And thanks for the joke. It made me smile. Signed, Ida. A few minutes later, he replies again. A smile from you is worth a thousand silly astronaut jokes. Sleep tight, coconut. Signed, Ale. I run my fingers down the hollow screen to shut it down and close the window shade, turning the room dark. I can hear the rumbling of the G's spin around me. I start counting. 999. 998, 997, 996. But tonight, the counting isn't working like it normally does. My mind drifts back and forth between Ale and the numbers. He's thinking of me tonight. That thought spins my mind and sucks the breath right out of me. After many more minutes, I drift off into a restless doze. Ale is in my dream. I can barely see him, but he's there. And I know it because I can feel him. I can't remember what happened in the dream, but I know that he was there the whole time. Chapter 37 I am not an astronaut. How do I know? Because I'm sitting here, strapped into my spacesuit, waiting to start the spacewalk, and I am terrified. Astronauts don't let fear tackle them. 
They spend their lives training and waiting and training and waiting, all for the glory of coming to space and feeling what it's like to be outside of Mother Earth's protective outer layers. I, on the other hand, would love nothing more than to be carefully enveloped into those protective layers. That's how I know I'm no astronaut. A legit space explorer would be thrilled to take the opportunity I have now. Of course, it's not easy to get inside those protective layers of the atmosphere. Mother Earth does a good job of ensuring that hostiles don't get in, and she won't just open up for one of her own. You've got to earn your way into her inner circle. So, that's what we're doing now. Retrofitting this old Soyuz so it can stand up to the atmosphere and earn its way inside. The fact that I've been training for this spacewalk for two weeks doesn't make me any less nervous. If the procedures we've decided on don't work, Mother Earth will reject me. Nix is beside me. He tips his Iron Man head in my direction as he remotely downloads data from the station computers. Nix is in charge of keeping me organized and reminding me of the next step while I'm doing the work on the Soyuz. He's also got my backup computer and a whole bunch of tools strapped to his body. He's been practicing too. We ran drills, hundreds of drills, the two of us. He has step-by-step instructions for the spacewalk stored in his hard drive. There are 632 instructions to be exact. Ale will be here too. Just as the thought of Ale enters my mind, my heart speeds up slightly and for a moment, I wander away from the overwhelming task at hand. I'm quickly brought back when the communications link in the suit crackles to life, causing me to jump. Just a test, Ida, he says. Only a few more minutes now. I'll come back on when we're ready. I blink my eyes a few times and shake my head inside the spacesuit to stay active. It's really the only thing I can move right now in this cramped little airlock. I turn my head to my left and see the hatch. It hasn't been opened in two decades. And the pressure of holding in an entire atmosphere must be taking its toll on the metal and seals. It worries me. To take my mind off the hatch, I start to list off all the things that can go wrong with this spacewalk. If I know about them all in advance, maybe the task won't be so intimidating. First, I might die. This is true, of course, but frankly, the never-ending presence of death is something I've lived with my whole life. It's no reason to get all worked up about now. The suit might malfunction while I'm out in space. This suit is older than I am. That's a strong possibility. But so far, the suit has worked fine other than that glitch with the temperature regulation. Well... There's also the fact that it hasn't been in the vacuum yet. All of the practice runs we've done have been in the pressurized atmosphere of the station, and you never know how something's going to react to vacuum. To err on the side of positivity, it's been working fine so far, and there's no reason to think that it's going to fail now, right? So if the suit malfunctions, I'll have to go back to the airlock in a hurry. It's not fun or easy to hurry in a spacesuit. Nix will be there. Maybe he can help me get back quickly. If I can't get back fast enough, the suit might totally fail on me. But again, it's been working okay so far, so why would it fail now? If the suit does completely fail, I'll die for sure, which brings me back to my first point. The procedures we've practiced also might not go as planned. In fact, they probably won't go as planned. But when does anything go as planned? If the spacewalk doesn't go, I'll have to improvise. I'm no stranger to improvisation. In fact, I've been improvising solutions to mechanical problems since I was five years old. 
If the improvisations don't work, then the procedure will fail and the Soyuz won't be tough enough to punch through the atmosphere. If the Soyuz doesn't make it, I will die during re-entry. Which, again, brings me back to my first point. I'm always on the verge of dying. My mind is so full of these buzzing thoughts, it starts to make me feel tired. And I can't have that. I take a moment to push all these negative thoughts back and focus on the positive. I will be okay. I will make it to the surface. I will do it for new. I'll do it for Ale. I'll do it for me. Ida, Ale says over the radio, again making me jump. Yes, yes, I'm here, I say awkwardly. You ready to do this, girl? I'm giving you a good luck wink from down on the surface. I don't think he's ever called me girl before. He's trying to sound upbeat. I can tell by the slight tremor in his voice that it's an act. He's just as nervous about this as I am. And suddenly, I believe him when he says he'd change places with me in a heartbeat. The thought brings me comfort, and I can feel my mind strengthen. Wink when we're done, Ollie, I say to him. Whatever you say, boss, he says. First step, open the hatch. Let's get started. Chapter 38 I'm sitting in the kitchen eating rice and beans. I'm still alive, for now. Actually, the first spacewalk went as well as could be expected. I was able to get three batteries detached from the hull of the service module. The first one was a beast. For a moment, I thought I wouldn't be able to do it. The casing around the battery was held on by four very tight bolts. After several minutes of sweaty wrenching, I was finally able to free them. Then it took me about an hour to unhook the battery and take it back to the airlock. I repeated the process with two more batteries. Those two came loose much easier after I figured out how to position myself so I could remove the bolts. You'd be amazed at how tough it is to get any torque when you're in microgravity. It's all about positioning. I finally figured out that if I tuck my feet into the hand straps that surround the outer hull, I could push up on the wrench to loosen the bolts. I've never been outside the walls of the Delta, and frankly, it made me uneasy. The outer skin of my station looks like an RV after a hailstorm, with nicks and dents all over the place. I was shocked to see this at first. Nix assured me that's how it always looks, and I've seen pictures of it from his point of view, but it's different when you see all the little dents in person. It's difficult to see your home, your only source of heat, oxygen, water, food, life all beat up like that. The battery bank is on the outside of the surface module, which is where I spent my six-hour-long spacewalk. When I went back through the airlock, it was a tight fit. We did remove the other spacesuit, so there would be room for me and the batteries, but those things are not small. It'll be interesting fitting them into the Soyuz, which is even smaller than this airlock. For now, though, I'm not concerned about that. I left them in the docking module, Tomorrow, they want me to wire them into the Soyuz and make sure they're working right. If they don't work, it'll be back to the very short drawing board. The original plan was to do the second spacewalk right away, but after they saw the condition of the outer skin, they'd rather I get the Soyuz ready to go on the inside before I go cutting off the exterior aluminum. Ale sent me an email when he got home. He was with me during the spacewalk, and afterward he went home to rest. He told me about his night and cracked a few jokes. He talked about how much he hates to do laundry and how much I'll hate doing laundry when I get down to the surface. 
He mentioned he likes to grill steak and isn't a huge fan of vegetables, but tries to get them into his diet when he can. He told me how much he admires my strict cleaning schedule, and he can barely handle keeping his bathroom clean. I'm smiling now as I read it. It feels wonderful to have a normal conversation with someone. As I read his words to me, tears stream down my face. Thanks for listening, sci-fi fans. In the next episode, we will join Ida on her final spacewalk to repair the Soyuz. And something unexpected will happen. You don't want to miss it. See you then. Bye.